Father, we thank You for Your presence here in this place. Lord, we're believing that You've got a Word in season for every one of us. Thank You that You're speaking to us this morning, giving us the power to go and live in the way that You want us to live. In Jesus' Name. Amen? Amen. Fantastic. You can be seated. I'm excited about the the Word that God has for you through me this morning. Can we thank the worship team? as they take their seats also on fire this morning. My goodness, my goodness. Well, well, you know, last week uh, we began a new series called Home Sweet Home. This is the second of a three-part series and we're in the middle. And last week we discovered the missing puzzle piece in the, our understanding of the biblical story. And the missing puzzle piece being that in 586 BC, the Israelites were taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And uh, a lot of us don't really know about that. We don't really necessarily understand the significance of it. But what we discovered is that exile, which is being taken from your homeland into a foreign place, is actually not just something that happened to the Israelites, but it is a symbol It's a symbol of the fact that because of their rebellion, God takes us out of our home. Because of our rebellion, God takes us out of our home and he sends us into enemy territory. And it totally messes with your theology if you believe that God's primary purpose is your comfort. The theme runs all throughout the Bible. It's not just in that big part of the story, although that's the culmination of it in many ways. It also happens in seasons of our life. God takes us into exile. He takes you from where you're comfortable and he gives you over into difficult circumstances. It happens in our lives overall. It's like we're we're called out on this great adventure from home to go into the unknown and we can return home in the end. It happens to biblical characters. It happens to the whole Israelite nation and it happens to humanity itself. The story is that we begin at home in the garden. We're exiled from the garden into our own dominion, into our own rule. That goes terribly for the humans, but God's purpose is to restore us in a great city of Jerusalem, which is the image at the end of the Bible. So last week we were talking about home and what does it mean to be home and why would God call you out of home, call you out of your comfort zone. Next week we're going to talk about returning home changed and, uh, and how we can do that. But this week, we're going to talk about how to live in exile. Turn to the person next to you say, I'm excited. <laughs> Some of you lied. That's fine. You've got to speak these things in faith, don't you? You see, the theme throughout the Bible tells us that actually all of us are living in exile. Even though Babylon is no longer around, Babylon has become an image of the world that we live in, which is contrary to God's way of being. And all of us are like citizens of heaven in a strange land. That doesn't mean that we are longing to just go and fly off into God's space up in the clouds. It means that we long for God's heaven to come to earth and that he would restore this home as it ought to be. So how are we supposed to live in exile? Well, maybe you've felt the tension before between the Jesus way and 
our society's way. Maybe you felt the tension between uh, being frustrated because the government is not doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing. They're not doing, or maybe they are doing things that you don't think they should be doing. Maybe you felt the tension in your own life of just being in an unfamiliar or chaotic, uh, difficult season. If, if you're any of those things, then this message is for you. Has anybody ever seen the TV show World's Strictest Parents? Anyone seen that? Man, I love these shows. They're like my guilty pleasure. It's like a reality TV show and the, it's set in the U, well, sort of, they get two normally teenagers from, from the UK and these guys are just off, off the rails. They're off the rails, teenagers, and they send them halfway around the world into exile, into, normally to like the United States or somewhere like that. And it's called World's Strictest Parents, but it's actually World's Worst Teenagers going to stay with reasonable parents. And so <clears throat> what happens is these teenagers are normally off the rails. Often it's a guy and a girl, and the guy maybe has, um, you know, is expecting a baby um, and is not taking any responsibility for his child, or uh, maybe it's a girl who's uh, hooked on drugs or just goes out partying. And what's fascinating is often these kids throughout the course of the week that they stay with these strict parents, they reveal the wounds that have led them to the place that they are. Anyway, these teenagers are totally off the rails. They go stay with a reasonable family, and basically the parents kind of bring them into line, help them come to terms with the wounds of their past, and uh, they, they uh, are lovingly strict, and they help them bring their lives back into line. And you see this incredible transformation in these teenagers who are going home and saying things like, you know what, I realize that I don't appreciate my mom. She does so much for me, and I have to go home and say thank you, and I have to do more around the house. I need to take responsibility for my child. I need to get a job. I need to put my life back together. And it's just so I just this is I just love these shows. They're so bad, but <laughs> but I just love them because I just feel like oh man, you know someone's been transformed. Their life's been totally changed. And so sometimes when we come around the topic of the exile, I think we would ask ourselves, well, why would God do that? Why would God send his people, take them out of the promised land which he delivered them into? Why would he take them out of that home into exile and hand them over to the enemy, the Babylonians, who are a very image of everything that God is not? Why would he do that? Well, if we look at the world's strictest parents example, you find that the parents of the teenagers are at the end of their tether. They have got no more ideas. These guys are too long gone. They need a big event to come and shake them up and help them see the error of their ways and to appreciate what they have. So if we look at the story of the Bible, we actually find a similar story. In the beginning, you get Abraham, whose covenant with God is basically... I love you, you're my child, I'm going to bless you. It sounds a lot like a newborn baby. Your expectations of a newborn baby as a parent are low, right? You're not saying, man, I'm going to love you, but you better do your chores. It's like they can't operate their hands yet. 
they whack themselves in the face and then cry like, oh, who's hitting me? It's you. You're hitting yourself. (laughs) So your expectations of a newborn baby are low. And so the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham is kind of like that of a covenant with a newborn. My love is not conditional. And then along comes Moses, and it's as if the Israelite nation has grown up a little bit. Because now God's saying, I'm welcoming you into my home. I've set you free from slavery with the Egyptians. And now I have some rules. The same thing happens at the beginning of an episode of World's Strictest Parents. They sit down at the dinner table and they go through the house rules. That's what happens with Moses and the Lord in, uh, in the desert, in the wilderness. He says, look, this is how we're going to run this house. This is the house rules. This is... And it's my way or the highway. And so it's as if Moses' Israelites are children in God's house. You could skip forwards to look at the Gospels and see what happens after Jesus has died on the cross. And in many ways, you and I have been given freedom. It's the kind of freedom that happened when I turned 18 and my parents said to me, you can make your own decisions now. You're still living in my house, but you, you, you can make the call. Oh, I said, oh, that's a lot of responsibility. That means I can't blame you if I make the wrong decision. My parents didn't let me drive with pea platers until uh, I turned 18, and then I had a friend. She had her peas, and uh, I said, well, I'm sure, like, she's, she's good, but I'm sure I'll be able to. It, I said, mum, do you think I could? She says, you're 18. Make up your own mind. So, oh, all right, I do need to get there. So I get in the car with this fee plater, and she's like, oh, right, oh, feeling nervous. I was like, no, should I be? Uh, she starts the car up and accelerates. But you know how sometimes the steering wheel has done one full turn, so it looks straight, but the wheels are turned. So she just goes straight up into the curb and just knocks over three Sulo bins. And that's when I started to feel really nervous. Oh, dear Lord, have I used my newfound freedom for a terrible, terrible thing? But in the new covenant under Jesus' blood, in many ways, we, his people, are adults. We've been given the freedom of an adult, and we're being asked to exercise our freedom in a way that honors him. But we have freedom. It's like he's given us the keys to the car, the keys to the house, the keys to the kingdom. There's something in between childhood and adulthood. What do we call that? Teenagers. Teenagers are kind of like people who think they've grown up, but are not quite there yet. Frontal lobes still developing. Sweat glands overdeveloping. Shower skills less so. With boys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, in many ways, in the middle of the childhood between Moses and Jesus, we have a teenage nation of Israelites. And things go so badly for the teenagers that God kicks them out of the house. Just like the parents and world's strictest parents kick their kids out of the house and send them halfway around the world to learn a lesson, the Lord brought his people out of the promised land and gave them over to the Babylonians. Now, that's not the only reason. It's not that God only ever 
takes you into something uncertain because you are an unruly teenager. But certainly that's a contributing factor. Why would you kick a teenager out of the house? What would lead you to kick your hypothetical teenager out of the house? Perhaps you'd be like the parents in, in World's Strictest Parents. There is nothing more to be done. Maybe you're at a place and you're asking yourself, why would God take me out from where I'm comfortable? Well, maybe there's nothing more to be done. And your home, he wants to restore it, but you're clogging up the home. So maybe there's nothing more to be done. He's at the end of his tether. Maybe, like a teenager, maybe the teenager is, is wrecking the home. You know, home's meant to be a safe, secure place. And so the teenager might say, that's what I want. I want to be in the home where it's warm, loving, safe, and secure. But as soon as the teenager comes into the home, it is no longer that because of the teenager's presence. If the teenager makes the home dangerous and, and, and not good, this is not a message against teenagers, by the way. We love our young people. These guys are some of the best young people the world has ever seen. Uh, and the future is bright. Um, but the Israelites weren't doing so well. And maybe you're a, an old teenager or a young teenager. Who knows? <clears throat> so maybe, so, so the Israelites certainly were wrecking their home. And so God had planned the promised land as something to be good, and yet they were ruining it. They had begun to worship other gods, do child sacrifices, give themselves over to every kind of sexual immorality. And, and, and so in many ways, it was not even what it was meant to be anyway. So he has to clear them out to make it new. The other thing, the other reason you might kick a teenager out of the home is because they will learn to appreciate what they've been given. So maybe God's taking you into a new season of your life so that you can appreciate who he is, who you are, and what you have been given. And the other thing it will do is it will develop their character, it will develop their perseverance, and it will develop their responsibility. So why would God allow difficulty in your life? Maybe it's because he values what is good over what is easy. Turn to the person next to you and say, he values what is good over what is easy. Okay, very good. Okay, so in the story, the Israelites have been taken from the promised land. They've been defeated by the enemy, uh, the Babylonians, and they're taken into exile. And, uh, and the biblical authors see it that God is the one who exiled them, not the Babylonians. It was God who took them out of the, out of the promised land and into exile. And we see the same thing all throughout Scripture. Paul, when he's writing to Philemon, 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 that one, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. But it was the Romans who captured him. But he considers himself to be a prisoner of Christ. Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. He rises to become second in charge to Pharaoh. When he meets his brothers again, he says in Genesis 45, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was them that sold him. It was God, he says who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Okay, so it's really easy for us to rile against difficulty in our life. 
because it's difficult. But if we take the biblical author's point of view, maybe it's not the devil who's brought us there. Maybe it is the Lord who has brought us to this place. And maybe God has you actually exactly where he wants you to be. And the tension that you experience between what you would like it to be easy and you want to be at home and where you are at the moment, maybe that tension is in, is, is in the difference between what your attitude is. And maybe we need to do what the Israelites did, revisit our history and see actually the Lord is in control. And if he's in control of my circumstances, then how should I be behaving in this situation? How can I put my trust in God? How can I remember like the teenager who starts to appreciate their parents more? How can I remember who the Lord is, who I am, and what my part to play in all of this is? Maybe God brought me here in the first place. And so we see an example of how to live in exile with that attitude uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's just quickly go to the scripture in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. It says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. This is surprising. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what, what are we supposed to do if we're in difficult circumstances? What are, we, what are we supposed to do if we find ourselves away from home or, or in a strange land? Should we revolt? Should we overthrow the enemy? Or shall we just become like the Babylonians? Jeremiah's surprising prophecy is this. He says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the fruit they produce, food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace of the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Work for the prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. He's saying work for the peace and prosperity of the Babylonians who are the enemy. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will, will determine your welfare. He's saying settle in, do life, have families, fulfill your calling. He's not saying uh, just go to the hills and try and escape your culture, your workplace. He's not saying run away. But he's also not saying fight it. He's also not saying just adopt their ways. He's saying settle in. Because then at the end of his prophetic book, after he said pray for the establishment and all that, in Jeremiah 50 he says, the Lord gave Jeremiah the prophet this message concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. This is what the Lord says. Tell the whole world and keep nothing back. Raise a signal flag to tell everyone that Babylon will fall. The hope of these people is that the oppressive empire in which they live will eventually fall. And that is exactly what happened. The Babylonian empire fell. But the kingdom of God continued. What happened was the Babylonians were conquered by another, uh, another empire. Uh, short succession came the Assyrians, the Persians, and then the Romans. And so then we get to the time of Jesus, and the Rome, Romans are still in charge. The Israelites got to go home. But it wasn't home sweet home. It wasn't as it was meant to be. Everything was destroyed and they still have the enemy, which they still keep referring to as Babylon, occupying their space. And so they settle in and they hope for home. But 
uh, they know that the current reality is not the final authority. Turn to the person next to you, help me preach, say, this current reality is not the final authority. And Jesus gets tested. Is he going to revolt or is he going to submit? Some tricksters come to him and they say, shall we pay our taxes to Caesar? In other words, should we, as Jews, submit to Babylon? Should we become like the Babylonians? Or should we not pay our taxes and revolt? Jesus suggests the third way. Everybody say the third way. Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? And we know the answer is Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. If the questioner wasn't just trying to trick Jesus, he was actually trying to learn, he would have asked a follow-up question. And that, that question would have been, well, what is God's? And I believe Jesus' answer would have been, if he asked what image is on the coin, his answer would have been, what image is on you? We are all created in the image of God. His image is on us. So if we give to, God, to, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, which is some coins, then to give to God what is God's means that we give our whole being, everything that we are, everything that we have, to God. And so Jesus' third way is that we would live loyal to these times, your bosses at work, the government here. We would live loyally, and yet we would also be subversive. That we are called to critique the powers that be, and at the same time, critique in a non-violent, self-giving, self-sacrificing way. It's the third way, and it is very strange. Jesus did not overthrow the Romans, but he was fine to critique them. He was fine to critique the religious leaders. But how did he fight the battle? He fought it by giving his own life. And so we're called to live in this third way. Whatever situation you're in, all of us are like we're living in exile. Babylon still exists. Babylon is like your industry workplace. Babylon is like the systems by which our world is run. Babylon exists in the hearts of people. It is the realm in which humans decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. And so Jesus calls us to live in the third way, between loyalty and subversion, with self-sacrificing, self giving love. And in the end, when Jesus gives up his life, it's God that vindicates him by raising him from the dead. Would you stand with me? Maybe you have a situation in your life where uh, you find it quite difficult to walk in the way of Jesus and you don't know how you ought to behave. Maybe you are under the authority of uh, people in your workplace, people in your community. Maybe it's certain uh, cultural things that press up against you. We're called to live like Jesus in the third way. Like Daniel in the Old Testament, I encourage you to go read that whole book. He's a great example of somebody who 
follows the third way. He works for the Babylonians in their government, but when push comes to shove and they press him into areas that God has forbidden, he stands strong. He says, I won't do that. I'm loyal to you, but I won't do that. And the Lord vindicates him every time and uses Daniel to show the world and show the king that Yahweh is the Lord, not the king of Babylon. That every other empire, every other structure will fall, but the kingdom of heaven endures. So maybe you have a difficult situation in your life. Would you just close your eyes, everybody, lift your hands to heaven as if you're about to receive. Father, we thank you that as you call us to go into the world and to live in the third way in between loyalty and subversion, Father, we we thank you that by your Spirit, you would guide us, that you would show us in each situation what you are wanting us to do. And we pray that just like Daniel, just like Jesus, that as we choose your way, regardless of how difficult it may seem, that you would vindicate us, you would bring us out of the wilderness and you would show your goodness and your glory through us to the world around us. Father, we thank you that as we seek first your kingdom, everything else that we need will be given to us. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would encourage us in the areas of our life where we need to give up old thought patterns, give up old behaviours, give up the lures of this world so that we can see you in all your goodness as we ought to. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are filling us now with power to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to follow him. Whether it's for the first time or maybe in your heart you know that you've walked away and you need to come back this morning. The Father welcomes us with open arms. His love abounds forever. So I'm going to ask you, if if that's you here this morning, in a minute I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so that we can pray for you. We're all going to pray together. I just want to know who we're praying for. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, ask for his forgiveness, begin to follow his way. Or maybe you've done that in the past, but you've walked away and you want to come back this morning. Right now, I want you to make a decision to do that here this morning. I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand so that I can see it. We're going to pray together. Is there anyone here who wants to pray that? Maybe it's for the first time. 
Maybe you're coming back this morning. Very good. Well, we thank you, Jesus, that you do show us the way. We pray that as we go out this week, you would show us the way. We pray that as we seek your voice in the morning of each day, you would show us the way. Lord, in every moment, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, in some other place, we pray you show us the way in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.